today. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. So if you have a Bible uh, or would like to follow along up here, please do. Mark, chapter 14, starting in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba. Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we've been going through the book of Mark over a long time. I don't know how long. And we've been saying in so many different ways that in this gospel, what Mark is attempting to do for us is to redefine the good life, to try to help us understand what that ancient concept means, the, the ultimate human flourishing and since all the kids are with us here today, if, you, if you're a kid, you're usually not in here, we're usually back there. If you're here, let me see you. Where are you at? Okay, okay, all right, all right, that's fine. Um, I'm gonna speak to you people, okay? You, are you with me? Say yes. <laughs> okay, that's, all right, thank you. Um, and if you adults want to listen in, I won't forbid it. Um, so I asked my own children, since we're talking about the good life, and by the way, kids, you can trust me. You may have been in here before for whatever reason, and this little portion seems to stretch on endlessly, but I'm going to keep it short today for you, about half as long as normal. So, so stay with me, stay with me. So I asked my own children, what makes for ultimate happiness? And they said Disney World. <laughs> and something to that there's something second being with your family so maybe best of all being with your family at disney world um and i think that most of our lives tell me kids if you agree most of our lives as kids has to do with figuring out how to be happy and what i'm about to show you in this text that we just read what i'm about to show you is something that will make you happier than you could ever imagine in fact if you understand what I'm about to teach you, it will be better than a thousand days in Disney World, if that's your thing. And here it is. Jesus loves you. And you'll probably say, I know that. Right? I mean, you're a kid. 
That, of course you know that. Of course Jesus loves you. And that's true. You probably do know that. But listen, there's a very big difference between knowing something in your mind and knowing it in your heart. So let me ask you a question. Do your parents love you? Yeah. Of course they do. Of course they do. Now let me ask you another question. How do you know? Well, okay, it's probably, if I brought each one of you up here and I lined you up like you were just lined up, and I asked you, how do you know that your parents love you? You'd probably start to tell me about the things that they do for you, right? Well, they buy me things. They give me a place to live, rent-free. <laughs> they feed me. They hug me. They read to me. They come to my soccer games. And this is what I want you to get. You ready? Love, we understand love, not by what our parents say, but by what they do. Are you tracking with me? You feel me? Okay. My parents love me because of what they do, not because of what they say. Your parents could say they love you all day long, but if they locked you up in a closet and threw you some dog food three times a day and said, love ya, you wouldn't, you, you might start to question it. Because you understand, just like we all do, that love is understood not by words, but by action. And just the same way, this is how you know that Jesus loves you. If only you can see what he has done for you, then you will know that you know that you know that Jesus loves you. And that's, if that makes it into your heart, you will be the happiest of all kids. And no one can take that happiness from you. And I want to show you from the portion of the Bible that we just read how this is true. And here's what I want to say. This is, if you don't get anything else, here it is. Christ suffered to show you he loves you. And he did it while you were asleep. Okay? Christ suffered to show you that he loves you, and he did it while you were asleep. And we're going to look at both of those. He suffered to show you he loves you, and he did it while you were asleep. So first, Christ suffered to show you he loves you. So let's look at the story we have in the Bible today. We're going to start in verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Kiddos, say Gethsemane. Nice. That's where all this takes place. Uh, does anybody like olives? Anybody like olives? Yeah? Ish? No? It's, it's, <laughs> okay. Well, well, Gethsemane means olive press. That's what the word means, olive press. If you've ever seen your parents cooking, or maybe you cook, um, you might have seen them use olive oil to put in a pan and fry some stuff up. Um, do you know how olive oil is made? They, they take a bunch of olives, and they stick them in this press, and they... <laughs> crank it down until the olives are crushed and the oil starts to drip out and ooze out. So Jesus takes his disciples to a place called the olive press because this is where people crushed olives to make olive oil. Mm. You still following? Good. Now let's see what happened there in Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now we're in verse 33. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. 
And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus is in real sorrow here. The words literally mean that he was trembling with sorrow. Have you ever seen anyone so sad that their body shook? That's what Jesus is feeling right now. If you take a rubber band, probably done this, you take a rubber band and you stretch it as far as you can, there's a point at which you can't stretch it any farther. If you stretch it one more time, it's going to break. And that's what Jesus' insides felt like in that moment. He stretched so far that one more stretch will break him. And so he brings his friends, Peter and James and John, with him and tells them to stay awake and pray with him. Now, the question is, what made Jesus so sad? Why is his body trembling with fear? We see it in verse 35. Look. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now first, did you notice that he prayed that the hour might pass from him? Did you see that? He prayed that the hour might pass from him. What does that mean? Well, if you read your Old Testament, you'd find, like when you get to the prophets, you find that when the prophets talk about the hour, what they're talking about is not like 60 minutes. They're talking about an appointed time of God's judgment. Now, I can remember uh, getting in trouble at school uh, in fifth grade. I know none of you have, but I did. And why I got in trouble is unimportant. Um, You can ask me later. Um, But I remember being in the principal's office. And he was on the, by the way, in those days, kids, you you got it good today. Let me tell you something. I was in the principal's office. You know what's hanging on his wall? A paddle. It's got holes in it. Maybe I was just in Smyrna where I grew up. Does anybody else? Yes, yes, the paddle. They would whack you. Oh, my gosh. I, I just remember that as I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't get the paddle that day. I didn't get the paddle that day. But the, uh, I remember sitting there in the principal's office, and the principal's on the phone with my dad, and he, he was at work. And the principal gave me the phone, and my dad said, when the bus drops you off at home, go to your room and stay there till I come home. Now, my parents were divorced, so... Uh, my mom wasn't home. I just, I got there. I was alone. I sat there in my room and I had to wait for like two hours. Just waiting for the hour to come. When my dad got home, because I knew that when he did, it was judgment time. My punishment was coming. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know how hard it is to wait for that hour to come. And that night in the garden, Jesus knew something. He knew that the next day his judgment was coming. The hour was coming. And he begged the Father, let it pass. Now, what was that judgment? What was the punishment he feared? Well, for that, let's look at what he actually prayed. Did you hear what he said? He said, 
let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? Well, if you had grown up in Jesus' time and you were a, a Jew along with all the other Jews in Palestine, you would have gone to synagogue every Saturday, just like we come to church every Sunday. And in the synagogue, they would have done something that we don't do here, but they would have sung hymns, excuse me, not hymns, psalms. We sing hymns a lot, we sing songs, but one of the kinds of songs they sung often were the psalms. And they would have sung this psalm at some point, often, in Jesus' growing up. Psalm 75, verse 8, it says this. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Okay, you guys still with me? This is not light, I know, but hold on. There's a picture here. Do you think, let me just ask you, do you think that evil people should be punished for the evil that they do? Yeah. Of course, right? Well, the Bible, when the Bible talks about the kind of punishment that those evil people will get, it talks about it like it's a cup. And in that cup is all of God's anger at evil and sin. And it says that the wicked people will line up and be made to drink all of that judgment down to its very dregs, which means they have to drink every last drop. And what that means is that every bad thing that people have done will be punished. And the, the picture that God gives us of that is a cup. But here's where things get astonishing. Don't keep, stay with me. We all understand that bad people should be punished for the bad things that they do. And you see that huge line of folks standing, waiting for their turn to drink it. How many people do you think would be in that line? Billions upon billions. And in that cup is punishment for all of them. And Jesus is shaking with fear because the Father is giving that cup not to the people standing in line, but to his Son. He's one man. And he will drink everything in that cup down to the last drop. That's astonishing. Now you might be puzzled at this point. Isn't Jesus good? Isn't he the man who never sinned? Even if you could line up every person in human history, he's the one who should not be in that line. Because he never did anything that deserved punishment, right? But do you remember what I said earlier? That we know a person loves us not because of what they say, but because of what they do. Do you know why Jesus drank the cup of God's anger? He did it because he loves you. A day after this, where he was in the garden, he was going to be crucified as a criminal. And he was going to be punished for your sins for mine. You might say that he was going to be put into the olive press and crushed. But why in the world would he do that? He did it so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven and we could be with him in his kingdom forever. Now listen to me, kids. Listen. 
Jesus loves you so much that he endured all your punishment for the sins that you committed in this world. And he did that so that you could be free and be a member of his family. It would be as if my dad came home that day and grounded himself. Isn't that astonishing? Now you might be wondering at all this, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get that love? What do I have to do to be part of that family? What kind of behavior is required? What kind of chores are there that are required of me to have his love? Well, that's the next part of the story. So we just talked about that, that Christ suffered to show you that he loves you. But he did it while you were asleep. You remember that Jesus brought his friends with him while he prayed. It was, it was Peter and James and John. And when he left them to go pray, he told them. Do you remember? Stay awake. Pray with me. And when Jesus was done praying and considering the cup that he was going to have to drink, here's what happened. Listen. Verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When Jesus returned from his agonizing prayer, he found his friends sleeping. He asked one thing of them. In this time of my greatest fear and distress, just stay awake with me. Just pray with me. And they couldn't even do that. So he told them again, stay awake, pray with me. And then watch what happens in verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going See, my betrayer is at hand. Three times Jesus goes away to pray the most agonizing and fearful prayers of his life. Three times he commands his friends to stay awake and pray with him, and three times they fall asleep and left him alone in his fear. Now, I wonder if any of you kids can relate to these disciples. Have your parents... Have your parents ever told you to do something that for whatever reason you're just unable to do it? Maybe. Maybe your dad told you, be nice to your brother. Maybe he has been annoying you and you're so frustrated with him and you're angry and you two are bickering and fighting and your dad says, be kind to your brother. It's a command. And you know that you'll get in trouble if you keep yelling at him. And more than that, you even know that being kind is better than being angry and mean. And you even want to be kind to him because being kind feels better than being angry. But then he just does that thing. You know what thing I'm talking about. He does that thing that you can't stand. And you find that no matter what your dad said, no matter how good it feels to be kind, you just can't. 
That's kind of how it is with Jesus' disciples here. And the fact that they fell asleep when Jesus repeatedly commanded them to stay awake teaches us something very, very important. Let me tell you something. The battle for your salvation and mine was won here in the garden. Did you see that? He was, he was genuinely asking. He was genuinely asking the Father that this cup might pass from him. But in the end, his resolve is fierce. Let's go. My betrayer is here. Everything that follows was sealed here in this garden. And here's the kicker. Jesus did all of that work while his disciples were off asleep. Think about that for a minute. Jesus did all the work while his disciples slept. He gave them a command and they failed. He gave them the same command a second time and they failed. He gave it to them a third time and he failed, they failed again. Why? Not because they didn't love Jesus. They did. But because Jesus told them, as he said, their flesh is weak. They are weak, weak people. And we are weak people too. Every single one of us is as weak as these disciples. And God commands us, you know this, if you've never heard anything else from the Bible, you've at least probably heard, love one another. He commands us to love one another, but we don't. God commands us not to lie, but we do. And here's the very good news. If you were asking, kids, listen, listen. If you were asking what kind of behavior you need to do in order to enter God's kingdom, if you were asking what kind of chores you need to do in order to earn Jesus' love, then here's the answer for you. You don't. Jesus did all the work for you. You are forgiven of your sins, not because you're a good person who does good things, but because Jesus did the work for you. The reason that you don't have to drink the cup of God's punishment for your sins is because Jesus did it for you. And all you have to do is believe it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Who loves receiving a gift more than a kid? (laughs) Receive it. If you do, then you will be the happiest of all people because you have a love that can never be taken from you. And one other thing that Jesus did for us is he gave us a meal. And it's a reminder that Jesus did the work of salvation for us while we slept. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing. Religion is not a matter of knowing and doing things primarily, but letting God do something for you. Letting God love you. Letting God save you. Letting God bring you home. And this is is the meal where you taste his love. This is the meal where you get the faintest hint of what it's like to be home with him. This is the meal where as you eat it, there's a melody in your head and you know it must be some, from some far off country and, and you, you think you know it, you, you kind of recognize it, but one day you will hear it in all of its fullness. So, for all people who belong to Jesus Christ, who 
who allow Jesus to do all the work for them. This is your meal, and you are most welcome. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how grateful we are for the love of Jesus. It's the most basic of things, and yet none of us can ever comprehend it by our own might. But we pray that as we come to this table, you would reveal it to us. Show us all that he has done for us. And not only, um, not only in the manner of uh, things for us to think about, but help us to see through it to his love. Now we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And all God's people said, the meal is ready for you. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ.